0: Hey, everyone. Tim McMaster here along with our MLB.com Mets reporter, Anthony DeComo. And, Anthony, uh, on Sunday when we talk about this Mets team, we saw a different Steven Matz. Seven innings, seven scoreless innings, three hits. He strikes out nine along the way. That was a career high. His ERA drops 30 runs from his first game. That's just kind of the fun you can have early in a season. But what was different from what you saw between Steven Matts Sunday and his first start of the year?
2: Well, the biggest thing, and pitching coach Dan Warthin said this as well, was that he really started mixing up his pitches, which he wasn't doing as well against the Marlins. Um, and, you know, look, Stephen Matz was missing his spots against the Marlins for sure. Uh, the Marlins hit some, actually, some pretty good pitches in that game, also for sure. But once you start pitching the way that Matz did, in Cleveland, uh, it's just really hard to hit a guy with that kind of stuff when you're when you're pitching and not necessarily throwing. And What I mean by that was not at the start of the game. He was doing well from the start but got into a couple of jams, and then he gave up a leadoff double in the fourth inning. And from that point forward, from that point until he left the game, he threw more breaking pitches than fastballs. Now, that might be a little extreme. You don't necessarily need to do that, go to that extent every time out. But what it does is it obviously puts that doubt in the back of a hitter's mind, that you don't know what you're going to get. You can't look in a fastball count and say, I'm not going to get a curveball here. Uh, very similar to how Noah Syndergaard was able to progress so quickly. And you know, when Noah Syndergaard came up, people forget that the guy uh, really was just kind of a thrower and was trying to fire 100 miles an hour past everyone. And it didn't work right away. And it wasn't until he clicked into that second gear where he started throwing his off speed and fastball counts and he started being able to command that off speed stuff getting comfortable with it, trusting it, that he really turned into the pitcher that we see right now. Uh, You know, Stephen Matz's stuff isn't quite as good as Noah Sinderharts because you could maybe say that no one in baseball is, but his stuff is still pretty close to the top of the chart. So if he can learn that same lesson, uh, he has a chance to turn things around, as you saw over the weekend real quickly.
0: Yeah, and Matt's start on Sunday really gave the Mets a lift after a, a tough outing from from Matt Harvey Saturday, although not really tough in the sense that he was perfect through four innings, uh, but then it kind of all unraveled for him. Now 0-3 on the season, and it seems like at least Saturday part of what the issue was was Harvey pitching from the stretch. What exactly is going on there when he's got base runners?
2: Yeah, that's a very specific mechanical tweak that both Worthen mentioned and the Indians themselves mentioned after the game, saying that he was just essentially a different pitcher. Uh, Worthen described it as his back leg collapsing, which is kind of pitcher-speak for saying that he's just not getting the same oomph on, on the ball that he does out of the windup. Uh, it's something that has uh, been on and off an issue for Matt throughout his entire career, um, but it certainly came back to bite him against the Indians. So, uh, that's something the Mets are going to work on. and hope it fixes the problems because, frankly, w- while Matt Harvey's stuff certainly still looks good, it's not quite what we're used to seeing from him. Instead of kind of sitting 95 miles an hour and being able to bump it up to 98, 99 on occasion when he needs it, uh, Matt Harvey's been more like 92, 93 so far this year. And maybe, you know, you'll throw in a couple 94s and an occasional 95 in there. So it's still really hard, but it's not that elite, elite stuff that we're used to seeing from Matt Harvey. Even after he came back from his surgery last year, he was back up 95, 96. I believe he was averaging over 96 miles an hour of fastball, no problem last year. So that to me is a little bit of a concern beyond the mechanical stuff. Um, and we'll see. Maybe it's just an early April thing. And once you know, we start warming up here and everything, everyone gets in a normal routine, normal schedule. The velocity will come all the way back. Uh, again, we're not talking about huge differences here, but enough to raise an eyebrow and something to keep an eye on as we go forward into the summer.
0: The offense seems to kind of be starting to come around. And one big factor over the weekend was uh, Conforto going to the three-hole and really having a fantastic series, 5-for-12 overall. Um that's a spot where obviously he's comfortable. I mean, he's he's been that kind of hitter throughout his career, but, but not at the big league level yet. How often is he going to find himself batting third for the Mets this season?
2: He just kind of looks like a three-hitter, doesn't he? Yeah. Going up there, I mean, he's got that elite contact skill. He's got a lot of power. Uh, he spreads the field. He hits it everywhere. Uh, so you're going to continue to see him out there. Uh, Terry Collins has essentially said this guy's going to be in the three-hole now against right-handed pitchers for as long as he's producing. Now, things can change quickly around here, and a couple of over 4s could certainly put him back down number six in the lineup where he had been. Um, even something as simple as Lucas getting on one of his patented hot stretches might change the equation a little bit, but the Mets like what they see from this kid, and he's certainly not been intimidated by anything the team has thrown at him, whether it's uh, coming straight from double-A to the big leagues last summer, whether it's sticking around for the pennant chase, uh, really when we all thought Conforto was going to be here for a week or two and then go back down to the minors, uh, and then getting thrust into this three-hole position in a place that could be intimidating for a lot of young hitters, even the best young hitters. All of a sudden you're hitting between David Wright and Johannes Hespides, and you're saying, jeez, I was in college less than two years ago. I mean, do I really belong? Does my bat really belong here? Michael Conforto says he's never had any of those doubts, and frankly I believe him um, because you just see the cool, sort of calm, collected demeanor that this guy's got both on and off the field. And uh, with the talent that he also possesses, it's it's really no surprise that he's seen success. Uh, The next step for him, obviously, is going to be proving he can hit lefties, which is a little bit of a chicken and an egg scenario because the Mets have been hesitant to... uh, to play him against left-handed starters and they've only seen one so far this year so we'll see how that plays out deeper into the summer but uh you know if michael conforto can do that and become that all-around hitter that's playing in 150 plus games producing the numbers that he's capable of producing all you know all of a sudden the offense is going to start to revolve around him
0: yeah he can certainly be a key cog in in that offense and what they want to do um I wanted to check in with you about Jacob DeGrom. Obviously, it's been a little bit of an extended time away now. uh, Complications with the new baby that seems to be some good news there. And I know he threw a bullpen session on Sunday. What's the earliest we could see DeGrom back on the mound for the Mets? Well,
2: he was originally scheduled to pitch uh, Tuesday in Philadelphia. That's not going to happen. He's on the uh, family emergency list, uh, tending to the baby who, as of Sunday night, was doing much better. So it's great news for DeGrom. Uh, his wife stays through the whole family that have obviously been going through a, a very tough time that, you know, a few of us could even imagine. Um, but in the interim, uh, from a baseball perspective, his, his lat muscle is much better, uh, according to the Mets, according to Terry Collins. Um, DeGrom has been driving back and forth to Port St. Lucie to throw these bullpen sessions. He's done two of them now. The last of them was 40 pitches. So assuming all is well with the baby and he's able to come off that family emergency list uh, in time for his start after this one, which I believe would be uh, the end of, uh, or it would be next Monday, I believe. As long as he's able to do that, um, physically there shouldn't be any issues. The lat muscle seems like it's healed. You know, if anything, missing this star was kind of a blessing in disguise for DeGrom, because those injuries can be tricky. It's a big muscle. We saw it with Stephen Matz last year uh, coming back too soon from an identical injury and winding up hurting it worse and and missing two months. So uh, for all intents and purposes, I think you're looking at penciling Jacob DeGrom in for his next start after this week. And the Mets will go from there. They could certainly use him with uh, a lot of their other starters sort of underperforming to this point this season.
0: Yeah, they did get a lift from Logan Verrett, which really helped them out, filling in for DeGrom, obviously. But they could use a an all-around boost to that starting rotation. Let's look at the week ahead, uh, Anthony, real quickly. Uh, three games with the Phillies, three games with the Braves. Obviously, those are teams that this Mets team is expected to go out and, and beat consistently. But when they faced the Phillies last time, Velasquez was tremendous, and then he was even better than his next start, not against the Mets, and Helixson was great, and they're going to have to face both those guys again in this series.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about it, and certainly the Phillies in particular have some really nice-looking young players already at the big league level, you know, similar to the sort of thing I think we're going to see from the Braves in the months and years ahead. Um, The Braves might be a little behind the Phillies at this point in that regard, but, uh, you know, It's something that the Mets did really well last season, just sort of steamrolling these bad teams uh, against the last-place teams in each division. Uh, And I'll put the Reds and the Rockies in there as well. The Mets were just dynamite. I think they lost something like four or five games all year against those three teams combined. Uh, So that's sort of what the good teams do. You know, you're not going to have a 700-winning percentage against the Cardinals and the Pirates and the Cubs and – and the Nationals of the world. It's just not going to happen. But if you hold your own against those teams and then beat up against the bad teams, well, all of a sudden you're going to be looking up in September and you're going to have a playoff berth in your hands. So the Mets fully expect to do that. They want to do that. But they also know that these teams with a lot of good young talent are not just going to roll over for them because they're the Mets and because they have these good pitchers. It's still going to be a matter of going out there and executing. And they've got the right guy on the mound, certainly, and Noah Syndergaard. To kick off this series, uh, as you said, Logan Vret was dynamite uh, in, in place of Jacob deGrom last week. So uh, the Mets have all the confidence in the world, but they do still have to go out and do it. And this is going to be an all-summer-long thing, beating up on the Phillies, beating up on the Braves, beating up on the Reds and the Brewers and the Rockies, and all these teams that aren't necessarily expected to be at the tops of their division. If the Mets can do that, then it almost doesn't matter, in a sense, what the Nationals do, because they will still be in the
0: conversation at the end of the year. Great stuff, Anthony. This has been the MLB.com Extras Mets podcast. Tune in again next week.